Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 60 of Ask the CEO with Abraham Gatile. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. He's a versatile, knowledgeable, and innovative senior executive and strategist with many years of experience within IT, cybersecurity, technological innovation, team building and leadership, vendor management, administrative network operations, and digital transformation. He delivers strong financial management skills, creates attainable quality goals, comprehends critical issues associated with threat mitigation, and ensures client satisfaction, most important of all. He's always been considered a leader, mentor, and motivator, both inside and outside of corporate America. Early in his career, he joined the United States Air Force as a distinguished graduate of West Virginia University Air Force Reserve Officer Training Corps. In 2017, he accepted a position with Tata Consultancy Services Cybersecurity Practice as an executive consultant delivery partner for their first and second largest accounts in North America. It is my pleasure to welcome Arthur Price. Welcome, Arthur. Hey, Abraham. I'm very happy to be here on a nice, wet Sunday morning. <laughs> what better way to spend a wet Sunday morning That's than right. talk about right. security? So what's going on in the world of cyber? Well, I, I can tell you right now, uh, cybersecurity is one of those areas that is exploding, and it's probably being very, very past, you know, uh, calm about it. Uh, with the upcoming of blockchain, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all mm. the things that are getting ready to hit all the art markets and, and people in the back building these things out to make sure they work so they can get the most out of it. Those are the things that are going to be changing cybersecurity for the next five years. And I'll talk about more with that as we go through this podcast. In more detail. Sure, and not just that, but think about IoT, the Internet of Things, and all these connected... How that impacts that, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about what is it that you do? How do you help solve people's problems? And, uh, and just, you know, what yeah. is it that you do? <laughs> That's a... Very, it's a very, very big question. Uh, what I do is I solve people's problems, to put it in a nutshell and to put it in layman's terms. Um, I was hired to help accounts get back in line with their cybersecurity to make sure that they're doing the right governance, the right processes, to make sure that those right details and what they call key performance indicators on contracts are visible to the chief information security officer, the CIOs, and ultimately to the president and the boards. Um, that's what I'm doing right now. I've, I've worked very closely with TCS's, Tata Consultancy Services, uh, number one and two largest accounts. Um, and it's amazing to me that uh, one of the things that we're gonna talk about here in a little bit is, you know, everybody wants cybersecurity, but it's, it, it's, it's troubling that there's not enough expertise out there right now to do the things that you want to do, that you have to do. So it's going to be one of those areas where we're going to be strained for a while because the people that know what to do are going to be working a lot of hours. You know, it's interesting. I was at a conference recently and we were talking about some of the challenges in the cybersecurity industry. And one of the things people were talking about was the fact that there are not enough women joining cybersecurity? I can tell you, I went down two years ago 
or about a year and a half ago to the University of Texas at Dallas. And it is about 80% um, foreign students. And a lot of them were women. And a lot of them were in IT wanting to get into cybersecurity. The problem was none of these students had, they're technically competent, but none of them had the cybersecurity credentials like a CISSP or a CISM or a certified ethical hacker. They had the, the, the network ones, okay? That's one of the problems, not only with women, but with young people that are coming out of college. I want to get into cybersecurity. I want to get into cybersecurity. While you're sitting here talking to me about this, you should be signed up and ready to go take those critical certifications. And the one that you must have is a CISSP, especially if you're going to be doing the technical piece. Now, to go back to your original question about women, I have met some very, very stellar women that uh, are very competent and should be in cybersecurity. And why that demographic is not more in line with the males, I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know if it's hiring practices or what specifically they're looking for. But as, as you said earlier, you know, I mentor folks inside and outside of corporate America. I specifically told the audience, and there was about 600 students there, that go do these ABCs first, and then your resume will stick out and people will hire you. And I think that's what's missing, that career path. Like you said, people think I'm going into cyber. Cyber is this big universe, and right. it's a matter of knowing what, it is, what is it that you need in order to be certified. And, and to, to tailor onto that, when I was in the military, cyberspace, they called it cyberspace, and they still do, which includes cybersecurity and IT and networks, is a domain. It's a function of itself. They have a battle space domain. They have a cyber domain. And the funny thing now is the battle space grid is what they talk. Cyberspace domain encompasses everything because it's IOT. It's, it's how do you protect all those devices? It's the airfield systems. It's all these radios and all these encryptions and these frequencies. And people don't talk about stuff like that. Okay. Not in the private sector, but, but my expertise being an ex-military and in the private sector now, in the public sector, I can see the clear translation of what that is and how it applies over here. Lessons learned apply over to this other area. Best practices apply. Mentorship applies. Okay. And that goes back to your other question about that's what's missing. Where's the career path? I mean, we don't look at cybersecurity in a holistic view. Yeah. That's one of the problems that we have. Okay. CISOs are what? Technically competent. They have this holistic view. The successful ones do. Not the ones that, and, and that's not belittling any of the CISOs out there. They worked very hard to get to that position because they were technically competent. They're technically competent, and people that don't have that competency, like presidents and CIOs, that's my rock star. And the fallacy with all that is they're looking at that individual, male or female, you are the key to the golden ticket. Yeah. All right. And it's not one person. It is a team, a team of highly skilled, highly trained individuals with the right management at all levels. That's your level one, level two, your CISOs all the way up. If you don't, and I'm going to talk about a statistic later on here in the podcast about can CISOs sell? security to the board 
to the presidents to drive investments. Because as you know, and I know that there are there's companies out there that have legacy equipment that's no longer supported by vendors and they're trying to secure it. Mm -hmm. And they're taking their pointy bony fingers and stuffing it in that CISO's chest and say, why did this happen? <laughs> okay. Why did this data breach happen? That's right. And then it comes into a business discussion. And that's another fallacy that we have. We're not having enough boards and presidents. And, and I talk at that level because that's where it all starts in cybersecurity at businesses. It starts at that level. you got to have cybersecurity as a business discussion. And we talked about this the other day. IoT, IT, cybersecurity, you name it, has to be a business discussion as well as a technical discussion. Because the CISOs don't own the money. The CIOs and the president and the boards do. And if you can't sell it, how are you going to fund it? How are you going to fix it? How are you going to evolve to things like blockchain, AI, machine learning, and tie all this stuff in so we don't violate GDPR? And that's a whole nother can of worms. That's a whole nother can of worms right there. <laughs> so one, one of the things I love what you're saying is a common misconception when it comes to cybersecurity is that it's all about hackers and keeping data safe. But what you just brought up is a real world example of some of the, of some of the vulnerabilities that exist out there. You've got old legacy equipment that wasn't designed for security, it was designed for convenience, for access. And now we're internet enabling it and putting it online and it's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. This is part of that risk management that boards don't understand, okay? They want the outcome, but don't understand how to get to that outcome. And this is what you have in architecture that's antiquated. I'll give you an example. I had one client, 42% of its architecture was no longer supported by vendor management, but had all the critical data for that company on that architecture and was on-prem. So you sit there and you walk in and you notice this, you know, then you start popping your high blood pressure medicine three, four times a day. Okay. <laughs> How do you make this palatable to the chief operating officer and the CISO that why are you guys in that position? <laughs> you know, don't you see this? And it comes down to, you know, and I hate to say it, I've even heard this. We can't invest because it's coming at the end of the year. Now, what does that infer? I don't know. You and I probably think this bonuses and whatnot. There's, there's no budget for that. There's, yeah, it's coming no out of the bonus. <laughs> and this goes to that discussion. You can have a separate podcast on this on investment. How does the board invest? Who advises the board on the best on IT and cybersecurity? This drives big, big discussions. Um, one of the things I want to bring up along the same vein is how do you prepare a board to give them the situational awareness on how important cybersecurity is and why it is critical to businesses? Why is it critical to protect IoT, like in healthcare? Okay. One of the things that we did in the military, again, I'm, I'm a translator. I'm the guy that builds the bridge. Okay. We had generals and colonels in a room and we would drop note cards. These were scenarios. These were closed exercises. They would prepare them for if there was a cyber attack. 
if the U.S. Air Force or the Navy or the Marine Corps or the Army had a breach, okay, and the breach would be like logistical information for all the pallets that were going to go out to fight the war in Afghanistan, but they lost all the information, so they can't weigh the planes right, which causes you don't know how much fuel to put on the planes. You've got a budget you have to work within, all these other things. Data is so critical in everything. I'm just using that as a use case. Can you imagine if you had a CEO and board members doing one of their board meetings on a quarter and the CISO has on the agenda, we're going to go through a scenario. If this company had a data breach and you drop the card to one of the board members of the president and he has to come in and sit down and read this card, okay, two things are going to happen. You're going to cause a lot of collaboration. And then you're going to have to have a facilitator in that room to make sure things are driven to the right business decision. And that's usually going to be the CEO or the, the director of the board. One of those two. The second thing that's going to happen is you're not going to have the emotion because they know it's an exercise. All right. But I can tell you that tool alone, if you did it twice a year, every six months, carved out an afternoon to do this and had a well thought out scenario, the board would be more prepared to make business decisions in case of a breach. Now that's only one tale of the story. The first tale is what did we learn from that? Well, if we have a breach, why did we have a breach? What's the root cause analysis? Well, comes down to legacy infrastructure. You don't have enough trained people. Okay. These are the, the tangential and the secondary uh, orders of effect of when you do one of these exercises to bring and highlight the fact, what do we need the board to do? Okay. And if you take care of those areas, the decisions on the board will be more beneficial and you'll get a better return on investment. Now, are you going to invest $7 million in infrastructure and personnel or are you going to spend 4% or was ever greater of your annual revenue because you violated GDPR. Yeah, I think it's definitely more cost-effective <laughs> solution to solve the problem. That's right. But the thing is, is that's, that's just a tool that you could use uh, that I would highly recommend that boards do, especially banks, okay, insurance companies, where the financial impact is really, really high. You know what's really special about what you're saying? I've heard all sorts of doomsday, doomsday scenarios where people talk about getting hacked and data breaches and right. you need to protect yourself and you need to get the best solutions. But I've never heard anybody sit down and tell us how. And you're the first person I've heard that told us how this is done. How do you protect yourself? What do you do? as a CEO, as a board, to work through an exercise to ensure that you've got the right solutions. Yeah. This way it's controlled and you can ask questions and you're not under the gun as much and you can learn from this. And that's the key thing. The takeaway is to learn. You're changing a culture and a mindset, okay? And that is where cybersecurity is gonna get more visibility okay, in protecting and bringing on new, new innovations like blockchain. How do you bring blockchain into an organization for data protection? 
blockchain is going to change the way we look and how we do data protection. That's just one facet. And there's 50 companies out right now that are already looking at it. IBM is one of them. I think in five years, IBM may be one of the leaders in blockchain when it comes to data protection. There's also identity access management. When you start doing things like this, IoT becomes not so much of a, a problem. It turns into a strategy. And that's what you need to do when you take these new technologies like AI, blockchain, machine learning, because you don't have the expertise out there. These technologies will level the playing field. Exactly. So, Arthur, it sounds like you've got a really intense uh, <laughs> practice going on. <laughs> what keeps you motivated every day to just keep fighting these battles? It, it's to me, it's interesting because you always read something new. Okay, uh, I, I post a lot of things on LinkedIn, LinkedIn Monday through Friday. Uh, I look at uh, BankSecurity.com. Infosecurity.com, GovSecurity.com. I mean, I go to a lot of places and just try to look at trends, look at who is doing what. To me, that is my new passion for learning. I've never been one person that's been comfortable. If I got comfortable, I'm not doing something right. I want to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to absorb as much information I can because I want to help people. And it's just like the other day when I was uh, – going to an executive transition assistance program for colonels in the U.S. Air Force and the Army that are transitioning into the private sector or public sector, whatever they want to do. And I had healthcare doctors out there. I had nurses. I had pilots. I had tank drivers. I had ground commanders. I had group commanders. The only thing that I related with them was I'm on the other side of the journey and still going on it. They're starting to begin it. And I want to share that information, my passion. You need to avoid some of these pitfalls. And I do the same thing with cybersecurity. That's really special. And that's what many of the influencers out there do. It's about sharing, not so much telling people what to do. Yeah. You're not the king if you're holding all the information. <laughs> Right? Isn't that true? You know, that used to be the paradigm of the 1980s. Right. Information is power. Well, not so muchy. Not so exactly. muchy anymore. <laughs> Nowadays, sharing is power. Yeah, that's right. So along those lines, you know, there's a, statistics out, there's a statistic out there that many small businesses fail within the first year of business. Where do you think entrepreneurs go wrong? <sighs> Not looking at holistically what is needed for the long-term strategy. Now, I was a startup person. I started my own company, consulting company. I wanted to, my wife's Native American Indian. I'm thinking, wow, we could get all these contracts. We're going to be rich. You know, we're going to be, we're, we're going to be, uh, the prime on a lot of contracts, our subs are going to be like Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, you know, you, all the big hitters. And they said, first thing you got to do is get registered. So you <laughs> register, as soon as you put hit send and you have all your company's information on there, you're live. And I'm using this as a use case and a scenario. You hit live, then all of a sudden the phone's ringing and it's ringing and it won't stop ringing. Because as soon as you registered, 
you everybody thinks that you're a full stand-up company. I haven't even set up payroll yet. It's just me and my wife. She's now going downstairs with the kids like they were last night, looking at her phone, hiding in a corner because the phone won't stop ringing. <laughs> you know? And that's to illustrate the fact is you got to really do your homework on when you want to do a startup. There's a lot of passion there, but don't let your passion get out in front of the headlights of the processes, the governance, who's going to do what? Have I got all the squares? And before you even run the flag up the flag and say, I'm open for business, make sure you're open for business. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen, I've, been, I've experienced it. I've seen other companies do it. I've seen big companies do startups. And then the biggest problem we have, these startup companies have problems since they're matrixed to the parent company. The parent company looks at them, oh, they're just a startup. They don't take them seriously. They don't take them seriously. They don't, they, they think there's, it's extra work for them because they took people out of the parent company to staff the startup company. Okay. That's another scenario. I lived through that one and that was very, very tough. So if for, for companies in terms of cybersecurity, you got to understand the holistic view. Is your startup going to be able to do the holistic? Or are you just going to focus on a niche? Like I'm just going to focus on banking. Well, there's a lot of banks out there. Okay. Do I have the right people? And that's one of the biggest problems too with cybersecurity. There's not enough of those good people out there. Not enough. It's all about planning. It's all about planning and strategy. And you've got to be able to learn it, live it, and breathe it. So talking about talking about your business experience and what you've been through, if you could turn back the clock, let's say five years. <laughs> what would <laughs> you be doing? If I could turn it back five years, even seven years, you know what I'd do? I'd go out and get an MBA. Okay. Because that would have given me the book smarts on where I could take my technical and my collaboration expertise and marry them together to really help business in the private sector. Okay. Uh, a master's in business administration would have given me that situational awareness like I have with cybersecurity. And I could have been a better person, not to say I'm not bad now, but I could have been business wise, business wise, wise, you know, and that's what's missing between CISOs right now. Uh, and, and again, it, at the end, we'll talk about that briefly. Um, knowing business, it's a business discussion. Can CISOs be in a business discussion with the CEOs and the CIOs to help drive those decisions? Because if they're not, some decisions are made and your cybersecurity is left out. This is why companies don't invest a lot here. If they don't need it, they're not going to fund it. All right. And if you don't tell them these are areas we need to fund, like your legacy architecture, your IT. It ain't getting funded. It ain't getting funded. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got to translate that deficiency into a deficiency in business sense that the board and the CEO are going to go back there and pop high blood pressure medicine pills. <laughs> By the way, you know, it's interesting you mentioned MBA because I totally agree with you. I, that's something that... I was looking back at my career. I didn't get an MBA either. Just like me, brother. <laughs> right? You know, I, I, I come from a working class background. And, you know, you go to college, you get your job, and you move up the ranks. 
entrepreneurship didn't exist in the 1980s, 1990s. It wasn't so, it wasn't so common and so right. popular, right? So you, IT right now is not a north-south view like banking or retail. I mean, when they talk markets, they talk verticals. This is the weave. IT and cybersecurity are a horizontal view. So understanding like an MBA would be one of those things that you could wrap yeah. that all around, regardless of the market. And people say, well, why wouldn't it be like a CISSP or a SISM certification? To me, you need the business smarts. Yeah, you need business smarts. I already got the technical. I know what I'm talking about. At least I think I did. <laughs> Probably some critics out there would say, hey, what's his phone number? I want to tell him that he's not. Uh, <laughs> But the business, the MBA, that would be the ribbon on the package. And that's something I wish I would have done. Beautiful. Um, where are you looking to take this, say, in the next five years? Oh, <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that question. Um, let me see here. There's some things like blockchain. And I can tell you in five years, I was just talking to a managing partner two days ago and I was asking, I said, this is what I'm thinking about five years from now. What do you think? He goes, blockchain is going to be almost assuredly adopted as the holistic. It's going to be holistically across business. Okay. With the adoption of more stringent and secure data protection policies. That's one thing you're going to see and how blockchain works and how it really ratchets down, secures, information. It's not going to be open-ended like it is now. And people are saying, Art, it's not open-ended right now. Yeah, talk to Equifax. Talk to Target. You know, talk to some other big country. <laughs> if they had blockchain, they probably wouldn't be, we would have these discussions right now. And the CISO would be still sitting in her chair. Um, all these things will be incorporated into business processes. And I'm telling you, blockchain, artificial intelligence, will make at least those two things. And machine learning, analytics are going to be really big in five years. You think they're big now? They're going to be huge because there's going to be more and more data out there. People are going to realize that data is the core of everything. Boards are going to realize, do we know what our critical data is? And that's an interesting discussion, too, for a separate podcast. We'll have, we'll have to do a sequel on, on just on that. There's companies out there, if you ask the question, do you know what your critical data is? Say what? That's exactly what they're going to do. <laughs> the CEO probably stammer or something like that or get the CIO in here and say, well, this is our digital strategy. What I find is very funny. Um, today, when you read some of these digital strategies and roadmap, they're so complicated. And you start asking your questions like, what are you trying to do? Now, a technical person say, well, I can understand how A fits into B and B fits into C. No. Step back to about 30,000 feet and take a look. What are you trying to do? Where is your data secure? How are you uh, uh, securing your data? Blockchain is going to be a big player in that. AI. AI is going to take all those analytics and give you information readily available. It's going to be digestible. Nobody's talking about information that's digestible to make business decisions. Heck, they can't even get people to translate technology stuff to a board and say, so you're saying this? What do you mean by that? Okay. When you have to reiterate and redefine how you're explaining things to get decisions and investments, you need to go back and see 
what, what you're missing. Okay. And, and then five years, I think that's where we're going to be. I think blockchain is going to be a major player in data protection and other things. I think AI is going to really boost analytics through the ceiling. It's our business decisions are going to be business decisions that we probably wouldn't make today. We're going to be making tomorrow in five years because we're going to have information readily available and the analytics to support it. Arthur, for all the CEOs and CIOs and CISOs out there listening to this podcast and thinking to themselves, you know, this guy speaks the truth. Who would be an ideal client for you? An ideal client for me would be somebody that realizes, if I was getting an interview, would be somebody that is realizes that cybersecurity is that business decision. And through this whole podcast, I've been saying that all along. IT and cybersecurity are business discussions. You leave the IT discussions down below the CISO. The business discussions have to be carried to, you know, the board, the CEO, the president, to know when they're having things like if we do a merger and acquisition, how are we going to integrate our data? If we break off this portion of the company, okay, uh, are we going to fund the like scenario or protection that we're doing now? You know, an ideal company would be one that would look at a holistic view that wherever our information touches, we have a role in that to protect that information. Are we investing properly to protect that information? I would hope that that company would say, Art, we give 3% of our gross revenue uh, every two years to invest in new technologies for cybersecurity and IT. Now, do companies out there exist like that? Possibly. You would think some of these multi-billion dollar conglomerates would say our job is to make sure that we stay a multi-billion dollar conglomerate. Yeah. Okay. And that the way of the world is not only IT, we don't know what it's going to be called in five or 10 years. It could be something new. It could be, you know, the way blockchain's exploding, you know, over the past two years and then it's application and AI. When we start having those things, actually implemented in the in the markets and businesses have this there'll be no question that companies will be looking at people like you like me like my buddy dave who's unemployed down in dallas right now because people don't understand what he brings to the brings to the organization okay uh an ideal client would be somebody that takes that seriously perfect and balances that with all the other responsibilities but it's, it's that, that's what I would think would be perfect client for me. Perfect company. Perfect. Now, how would they find you? They find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, Arthur C. Price can't miss. There's not a whole bunch of us out there. <laughs> I'm out on Twitter at Arthur C. Price at Arthur underscore price. It's out on Twitter. Uh, I'm also can be found on execranks.com. I've written articles for exec ranks. That's for, uh, that's basically for board folks and, and, advisory positions out there, but we also write articles for the folks that are involved in that to educate CEOs and boards on their functional areas in mind. It happens to be cybersecurity and IT. Great. And we're going to put that in the show notes. They can just click on it and get right to you. Yep. Great. Arthur, do you have any parting words of wisdom to share with the audience? Yeah. And, and, and all this discussion we've had today has been really interesting and fulfilling. And I hope that your, your listeners uh, uh, take some heart to this. But I want to share something that I ran across in May uh, of just this, uh, 
uh, just this year, back in uh, May 17th of 2018. In fact, it's the same day that I graduated from college 31 years ago. So That would be a, an Ask the CEO trivia question. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so this is from Pricewaterhouse's annual corporate director survey, and it tells us about cyber risks for 2017. This is what they, what they did. I thought this was pretty telling. And I'm going to throw out a couple statistics. There was four areas that they talked about. One of them is, do you have enough cybersecurity expertise? And Afrom, you and I talked about this here during the podcast. Second one is board oversight, IT and security. Is there enough oversight by the board in order to make the right things occur for cybersecurity and IT? Then there's the overall strategy. Okay, how does all that blend into the overall strategy of the business? And then the last thing that they talk about is the trouble with don't have it, don't need it. Meaning, uh, why should I buy this new software, this new technology, if I don't have it? And in my opinion, I don't need it. This is, this is going to prevent companies from evolving, okay, and keeping up with the blockchains and the AIs and the machine learning companies out there. So let's go back to the beginning real quickly on, do you have enough cybersecurity expertise? Here's some statistics. Directors reported very high levels of skill sets related to financial expertise, 85%. Risk management expertise, 65%. And industry expertise, 62%. However, when it comes to cybersecurity expertise, only 16% of the companies report having enough. Now, granted, these are the ones that are being uh, uh, polled by Pricewaterhouse, but 16% would be enough of a trend that if I was a CEO, I would have to look internally and see where I'm at in all this. 39% of the boards currently have some expertise in cybersecurity in their ranks, but admit needing more. Now, you have another third of the board members don't have any cybersecurity expertise and are seeking to fill that mismatch. So now you're talking one third, 33%, and then 39% of the board's having some expertise. So you got 72% in my mind, that 72% is a deficiency of cybersecurity expertise on boards and companies to make the right business decisions. So let's look at another thing here, board oversight and IT security. Boards are spending more time uh, and attention on cybersecurity, but are they happy with the information they're receiving? When asked to evaluate the presentation skills of groups, chief information security officers came in dead last with only 19% rating of excellent. So this is presentation skills. CISOs have to be able to sell it. If they can't sell it, it's not going to get funded. And we talked about that earlier here in the podcast. Does the increased level of board engagement translate into breach readiness? Big, 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 big question and concern. While 42% of the respondents reported being very comfortable with the company, another 45%, they were only moderately comfortable. And asked about whether the company had adequately tested cyber incident response plan. Remember that scenario, Avram, that I talked about earlier about you know, testing boards, only 32% of the respondents reported being very comfortable, 49% responded being moderately comfortable, and 19% uh, 
clearly labeled their organization's current efforts as non-sufficient. I would probably challenge some of those numbers in the big picture. So overall, let's look at board strategy number three. Overall, the board gives management high marks on involving the strategy, on strategy development and communicating with the board to board members. So this is the, the survey that Pricewaterhouse conducted. But the numbers point to a disconnect regarding quality of the information provided. 22% of the directors said the quality of the information they received regarding merging and disruptive technologies was lacking, meaning there wasn't enough education on those types of issues that had to be translated and collaborated with to directors to take to the, to the higher ups. Similarly, 23% of the boards were not happy with the quality of the information they were receiving on cybersecurity regarding the strategic options that management considered, but ultimately rejected. That goes down to preparation and making sure that you get the right information to go forward. Again, it bleeds into the previous statistic I talked about earlier, that they had 16% of the CISOs across the companies that they polled we're only capable of making the presentation and getting the data correct. So the last one, the trouble with what we don't have, if you don't have it, you don't need it. So obviously IT and cybersecurity aren't the only concerns on board members' minds. However, it is troubling to see that 10% of the respondents indicated they didn't have any IT or digital expertise on the board and didn't need it. Now I'm going to leave it there and I want you to think about that for a second. It was troubling to see that 10% of the respondents indicated they didn't have any IT or digital expertise on the board and didn't need it. I'm just going to leave you with a closing thought. IT is everywhere. If you're a business that doesn't have IT and growing and, and also cybersecurity, you don't have it. How successful is your business? How are you reaching out? regionally, locally, globally, can't do it. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised to see that 10% out there, that statistic mentions that. Those are some words of wisdom. Just wanted to share those statistics with you. I think some of those are alarming, they're troubling, but again, that was just last year. And this report just came out two months ago. So interesting reading. For sure. And hopefully, over the next year, things will improve. They've got to. I mean, there's it. Nothing ever stays. If it, it everything changes and nothing stays the same. So, <laughs> we, exactly. And with that, Arthur, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. And uh, I really enjoyed having you, Avram. Thank you so much. This has been a real treat for me. Um, I hope all your listeners. And any all of your followers uh, uh, reach out and tap the guy next to him or gal next to him and says, hey, did you hear this on Avram's show, his podcast? And I hope your, your uh, fan base grows. Uh-huh.